My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 100. You know, you never know where inspiration is going to come from. Sometimes it comes from the most unexpected places. I was at G2, that's gateway number two, our other, basically our used car lot, and where we're installing a new business called Green Outdoor. And we were unloading trailers. Well, I wasn't. I was watching. I was in the observation mode. I've got hip problems. So I wasn't able to participate from a physical standpoint. I was just pointing directions, telling people what to do. But I had left, and I got immediately got a phone call and said, hey, Lenny, can you come back? And I said, why? And I said, well, there's a lady here that wants to meet you. She's got a book program for the schools that she wants you to sign up for. You did it last year. And I said, oh, gosh, not, not that again. Okay. Well, I'm headed down to, the, to gateway number one, the Ford and Nissan dealership. So just have her come down there, and I'll talk to her. I wasn't looking forward to it because I had forgotten what it was all about. So I went back to my office and they paged me pretty quickly to come up front. There was a lady up there that wanted to talk to me about books for the school. I said, I know, I, I'm coming. So I went out and I saw her and she said, you remember me? And I said, well, yeah, I want to. She didn't look familiar, but the book she had in her hand did. And then she handed the book to me. I said, okay, remind me again what this is. And she said, well, it's about character education. Um, I said, oh, yeah, okay. I remember why I wanted to do this book last year, and I absolutely want to do it again. Let me read you a little bit of what it says on the inside. It says, my favorite book, that's the name of the book, its purpose is to reinforce the character traits and the values that you are teaching your child such as respect for elders and others, honesty, the importance of true friendship as well as of family, and family traditions, good hygiene, and personal responsibility. Now, can you imagine anything more important to learn than those things? I just wonder how much of that the kids are getting right now especially as busy as so many parents are. I know some of you do a fantastic job. Of course, we tried. You know, we didn't always do the best job. Uh, probably never the very best. Who knows what the best is? You know, you just try to instill your kids with with good values and, and basic principles to live by. And, you know, you try to live by example. And you hope that the, those examples and the things that you are trying to reinforce with your children are being endorsed, sponsored, reinforced at school. But are they? I mean, we really don't know. I know school teachers are under a tremendous amount of pressure to teach to the test sometime. Not all of them. I mean, most of them are really, really good people who want to improve the lives of children. I mean, I was raised by a school teacher, my mom, my wife was a school teacher. That was their career. And I consider myself a teacher. So, I mean, I don't teach school, but I speak to schools. I speak to you. You know, through this radio program, I have taught many, many people how to do the car business, so to speak, um, how to improve their lot in life. I think we're all teachers. Sometimes we just don't acknowledge it. And so 
when I saw this book, I'm thinking, yes, absolutely. So this book goes to, it, it is distributed to two different schools in this community, two elementary schools. And it really dives into the, exactly what I uh, read. It talks about, you know, th- rules for being a friend. Like the, here's seven rules for being a friend. Friends help each other. Friends like to have fun with each other. Sometimes friends get angry, but they always make up. Friends tell each other the truth. Making fun of someone is not very friendly. You cannot be a friend and a bully at the same time. And number seven, always treat your friends the way you would like to be treated. Isn't that great? You know, these are the lessons I think sometimes the teachers, like I say, I don't know that they have time to teach. Now, now at our dealership right now, we're having a very hard time filling a couple of positions. And it's not just me, it, it's everybody out there. It's amazing how many people come in and apply for jobs that simply cannot communicate. They can't even look you in the eye. They, they don't know how to dress. They don't know how to, to interact with another human, human being. They're so dialed into their cell phones and their, you know, their TikTok and all that stuff. It's, it's very frustrating. And it's sad, but am I just going to lament this, or am I going to do something about it? My mother started the youth leadership program down here in Greenville, Tennessee, with through the Chamber of Commerce. Now it's called the Green County or Greenville Green County Partnership. But she started that program with the help of a few other people. But she continued it for about twenty-five years, and she would take seniors and juniors from the high schools and bring them in and uh, teach them all kinds of stuff, everything from manners to, uh, you know, how the community functions from a standpoint of social and, and community or civic services, uh, how business works. They would go, they would do plant tours. She would take busloads of kids to the state capitol and they would go visit, you know, the different seats of government and go sit and watch a legislative session. They would go to farms and show how local farmers work, and and that included dairy farmers. And all these people participated in helping to educate these young people and give them an insider view of a bunch of different aspects of of society and business and agriculture. You know, it was really eye-opening for a lot of them, but that's what she did. And she also worked real closely with elementary schools and middle schools on character education, you know, teaching people uh, and young people in particular how to behave. You know, what, is, what does good behavior look like? What does bad behavior look like? What does it mean to be a productive person in society? That's important. It's so important. Well, I think we can see the importance of it by the lack of it that you see right now. And so what are we going to do as citizens? Are we going to let this uh, deterioration continue? Or are we going to volunteer? Are we going to act? Are we going to reach out to the schools and do what we can as citizens to help support their efforts? Because they have a lot of pressure on them to do other things. And... I mean, I, I just can't imagine anything tougher than to be a school teacher and, and to see the things, the different behaviors and stuff that they have to deal with today that I don't think teachers had to deal with 40 and 50 years ago when I was growing up. All of the single-parent families, all of the grandparents raising you know, kids, 
um, just the distractions of parents that, you know, I see so much of it with parents that are at a restaurant or something like that, and they're sitting there talking or they're on their phones and they, their kids are sitting there playing, you know, playing on other, their phones or little devices. They don't talk anymore. You know, they, they just don't interact. Um, it's too easy to just give them something to watch. So I think that there has to be some type of a effort to correct this. And I think that businesses like mine uh, can get involved. I'm getting ready to go see the superintendent of city schools in, in our community and the superintendent of county schools and see what we can do, see what I can do as the leader of this organization and as a car guru or just as a you know somebody who has studied this type of thing and and understands what it's what's involved in developing good character and employees and and what we look for as far as uh, wanting to employ somebody you know I just don't think that a lot of the kids coming out of school have a clue as to what the expectations are out there and so let's fix that. Let's work together and fix that. So anyway, uh, I'm going to take my first break. You think about that, and I'll be back in just one minute. Okay, so why does all this matter? Why do we want to teach our kids to uh, be good, ethical, moral, upright citizens? Why, does, why would we want to do that? Well, because when they become adults, they might be trying to sell you a car. And you want somebody who's not only going to follow the law, but you want them to have good ethical standards as well. Now, ethics and compliance to the law are different from each other. Both are very important to the long-term success of any business, especially a, well, in my particular case, a dealership or a salesperson. You know, often t- uh, the terms unethical or, or illegal are used interchangeably, but ethics is personal. It means the process of discerning what the correct action is in a particular case. Law is impersonal. It doesn't require any discernment. It's just you either comply or you don't. Now, ethics refers to moral principles and values that guide how you act in your organization. And, you know, ethical conduct basically refers to knowing the difference between right and wrong and choosing to do what's right. Now, you can be uh, unethical without breaking any laws. So let me give you an example. It's not illegal, per se, to charge different prices for different things to different people or for the same thing to different people. For example, let's say you go into a finance office at a car dealership, and the last guy that was in there bought the same car you bought, but they paid $795 for gap insurance. Um but when you came into the finance office, they priced you $1,500 for the same coverage. And how can they get by with that? Well, number one, you don't know. Number two, the bank that they're dealing with, you might have one bank that the, the previous guy financed through. They'll only allow you to charge $795 for GAP. That's the max. But this other bank that they're going through with you and your loan, they'll allow the dealership to charge $1,500. Is that illegal? Unfortunately, folks, it's not illegal. Is it unethical? Yes, it is. Another example would be that some dealers charge a certified pre-owned fee to customers who buy certified pre-owned vehicles. 
that they sell. Although that practice is totally against the manufacturer's guidelines. It's not necessarily unlawful in a state from a strict legal standpoint, but it's just not ethical to do that. Well, how can they sit there and do that anyway? I always refer to it as the ethical compass. You know, where does yours point to? I mean, what is, one person may say, well, you know, that's just the way the business is. I mean, that's whoever is the best negotiator gets the best price, right? Um, you know, if they don't know, it won't hurt them. That kind of attitude. I mean, it's sad, but it exists. But where did all that start with somebody? Did that start when they were a child, you know, going through elementary school and high school? Did they learn this behavior, you know, that that absolutely wouldn't overcharge a friend? But if it's a total stranger, sure, I don't care. You know, I'll, I don't know who they are. Is that okay? It shouldn't be. I mean, you should have the same basic rules for everybody. But that's just not how life is. That's not how the business world works. I deal with a company called Reynolds and Reynolds. They handle all of our in-house computing. And I found out that after I negotiated my last contract that I paid thousands of dollars too much. I called them on it. And they said, well, you know, every dealership has a different need. And they, you know, made up all kinds of excuses. But basically, um, I, I raised Cain. What did they do? Well, they finally relented and gave me some discounts. But I caught them on it, you know. And if I didn't catch them, then I wouldn't have known. Another illustration of some pretty dubious ethics, in my opinion, is vehicles that are marketed as Carfax One Owner. You know, you're familiar with Carfax. That's a vehicle history report, and it shows up on a Carfax as a One Owner. But it even shows up as a one owner if it was a rental car company that owned it. So even though the one owner statement may be technically true, the descriptions I've seen for some of these vehicles are very questionable at best, like with one ju just one previous owner who treated this vehicle like a member of the family. You really hit the jackpot when you drive home in this terrific car. You know, it's just one of those situations where uh, you don't know what to believe. Now, ethics can be very personal decision, uh, and different people will have different opinions about these scenarios that I've talked about. But here's where the lines have gotten a little bit blurry. I agree that a profit is not a dirty word. Uh, it appears that regulators and consumer attorneys have been redefining what is legal by applying their own interpretations of ethical standards. In the last few years, I have seen in the automotive press more and more enforcement actions and lawsuits against dealers for a number of what seem to be legal activities. Recent cases have charged dealerships with assessing dealer fees that were deemed excessive even though they aren't regulated by state law. But when you put it in front of a jury, the dealer is going to lose every time. You know, one of the things that, that happened a lot uh, during the pandemic was the availability of cars went down dramatically. And so where a dealership might have normally 150 vehicles, new vehicles in stock, he might have five, and he has to be able to survive. So what happens when the availability goes way down and you still have consumers that are you know wanting to buy new vehicles? Well, the prices go up. And all the consumer groups and a lot of people say, well, how can you charge over a window sticker for vehicles? And most dealers would just respond by saying, 
we have to survive, you know, and if people want to pay this kind of money for a vehicle, then we should be able to charge it. Well, then what's the MSRP? What's the window sticker? I thought that was the limit. No, that's manufacturer's suggested retail price. And as has been seen over the years, or the last few years, uh, on certain really scarce vehicles, I can give you an example of the the Corvette, the um, Z06 Corvette right now. Uh, you can't find one for less than, especially if it's, well, at, at some Chevy dealerships, they will honor the MSRP, not many. But most of them are charging anywhere from fifty to $100,000 over window sticker for those cars. And people are paying it because it's a very rare car and they want it. You know, they're willing to pay the price. Uh, I, I went to a Porsche dealership the other day I, where I ordered my car and I was able to buy my car for MSRP. But if I were to turn around and sell my car right now, Let's say that I bought it from them and then turned around and sold it back to them. They could sell it for $20,000 over sticker to, to somebody else. But they don't do that because Porsche frowns on that. Matter of fact, Porsche will take away allocation from them if they behave like that. Is that unethical? It's not illegal. But some people would say yes, and others would say no. That's just market forces. That's just the law of supply and demand in effect. So everybody has a different opinion about this. But when it comes to just breaking the law, just lying to people, I use this radio program to help you learn the tools and learn the, the lingo so that you know what to look for, so that you don't get lied to. And if you do get lied to, you recognize it. And you know what questions to ask You know, in terms of what you're really getting for your trade-in. What are they really selling you, and how are they pricing it to you in the finance office? What are you getting for your money? Is that not really included in the factory warranty? Do I really need to buy that in addition to this if I'm only keeping my car for two or three years? You know, and if they're packing the payment with, your, with all of these products and you're not really paying attention to what you're paying for the car or what you're getting for your trade-in, then... Those are the people that you need to watch out for because their ethical compass is not pointing in the same direction as yours. They've just sold you on the idea that it is. I'll be back in just one minute. All right, I'm back. So if we correct these behaviors when folks are young, then maybe we won't have to worry about them when they get older. Wouldn't it be great if it was really that easy. So I guess we have to work both sides of it. We've got to do what we can to help develop better character in our young people. Hold the, the people in the middle age, uh, the, you know, the millennials and Generation Z, hold them accountable for their behaviors. And as consumers, just pay attention. Just stay dialed in and don't get all caught up in the the equipment and the horsepower and the color and the excitement of buying a new vehicle because you can really get lost in all of that, can't you? I mean, it's it's easy to get overwhelmed with the numbers. And I always encourage my listeners, if you get overwhelmed, if you feel like you're just not really dialed into what they're saying and you don't understand, just 
take a time out and say, folks, we're just, we don't want to make a decision today. We're a little bit tired. We just want to go home and think about it. And if they really bring the heat, you know, bring in us a fast talking sales manager at that point or something, then, then that's when maybe you're at the wrong dealership, you know? Maybe you just, if they don't say, well, sure, you go home and think about it. We understand it's a big decision. Uh, just give us a call tomorrow, and, and we'll see if we can work something out. You know, if they handle it that way, don't you feel a lot better about it? But if you're relaxed and comfortable and you feel like you have good command of the numbers and you're getting a good value and, you know, you've been through the process and you've done the research, then go ahead and pull the trigger. Feel good about it. You know, so what if somebody gets a slightly better deal than you do? You know, the next person that comes in, you can't you can't worry about that. I mean, heck, the, if you go to a peach stand in South Carolina, it's very possible that the people that buy peaches tomorrow get a better deal on their peaches than you get on your peaches today. Do you spend a lot of time worrying about it? No, because it's not that much money. But as a percentage of the total price, it may be huge. So. You know, just don't uh, don't fall for the gimmicks and the games and the hype. Just keep your bearings and keep your compass pointing in the right direction. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.